We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And last night we had a potential NBA Finals preview against the Brooklyn Nets in a game that Lakers dropped 109 to 98, and they were down by as much as 25. It was only the second time they've been blown out this season. Um, unfortunately, the basketball gods didn't allow for the these teams to match up at full strength both Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant were ruled out beforehand and then somewhere between Frank Vogel saying he was really excited to see him matched up against Dennis uh, against Kyrie Irving Dennis Schroeder was a late scratch due to health and safety protocols um and so this is a game in which you know neither team was at full strength but I think it would be a mistake to completely throw out what we saw right and uh it's it's a regular season game it's not you know but it is our first bits of data against a team that we've had our eye on, right? And that we've uh, considered as a team that, you know, this could be how the season ends as a matchup between these two teams. So in that context, what do you take away from a game like last night, Mike? Not much, uh, it, but there are, I think there are two reasons. There's one big reason and one sort of uh, kind of big picture reason and one direct reason. And I think the direct problem last night was that Vogel found out about an hour before the game that Schroeder wasn't going to play. And the reason why I thought that was more significant is just that the game plan, a lot of that had to do with Schroeder. He's the guy that's going to attack the switches, uh, especially on the weak side, and especially when the ball gets swung over because Brooklyn switches everything and they're going to cut out a lot of what the Lakers wanted to do. And it, it just because, you know, look, it's not a high powered defense in Brooklyn, but they've been pretty good against the better teams in the NBA. So. That happens, and I thought that made the, the Lakers just look a little bit disheveled on offense. The ball wasn't moving much. It was basically like LeBron was creating opportunities for himself and his teammates, and not they didn't have much else going. And then on the other end, this specific thing that we had going in the group thread was Brooklyn starts small. The Lakers start big with Gasol at the five, and that was just a big problem uh, because they were getting all kinds of open threes from moving the ball around the court. And then uh, Montrez Harrell got matched up with DeAndre Jordan. And that was that essentially neutralized Harrell's ability to get to the rim. And they finally adjusted to that and went on a 10 0 run when Markeith Morris started at the five, kind of late in the second half. And it seemed like, or sorry, late in the first half. And then he started the second half and it seemed like maybe they'd get some things going there. So those were just some, those were maybe the micro things. And the bigger thing is just that they, they still look tired. They just look like they need the all star break. 
And that's the that's why I'm I'm having less of a wanting to tie it all together and like what this means for the future. But, you know, that would be a boring pod uh, if we just stopped there and said they're tired. Uh, so, Darius, I'm sure you have some more cogent points about what you observed yesterday and uh, and why why you think it's uh, it's what or I, sh- I should say where we should focus. Yeah. So, look. I don't take a lot of big picture stuff away from this. And I actually wrote this before the game in my game preview that there's definitely a lot of hype around this matchup. And this could definitely be a team that the Lakers see in the future. I just don't think the composition of both teams going into the game, and this was before the Schroeder scratch, that Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis are damn important pieces AD especially, he is so key to any matchup with the Nets that big picture takeaways simply because he's out of the game get diminished greatly for me. And then what further diminishes like big, big picture stuff to me is just the context of where the Lakers are right now in the season and sort of the tiredness or the malaise or however you want to frame it, right? Like, This team desperately needs the all-star break. Like they are banged up like two or three different guys ended up like either going to the locker room or looking like they were like injured. Basically there was a three that happened near the end of the first half, I think, or it was in the third quarter. I can't remember when that um, Wes Matthews had this collision on offense Mm -hmm. Right. And then he looked like the Lakers should have taken a foul or something just to stop the play. Wes ended up on Joe Harris and he wasn't guarding him at all. It was like swing, swing. Alex tried to close out on Joe, but Joe got a wide open three and he was like six for seven from three. And then there was a point, I think, where even Marquise Morris went back to the locker room. So, mm-hmm. like, I just think, and then obviously with AD, th- there's just a lot of guys right now that it seems to be accumulating on on their legs and is impacting them mentally as well and those things are clearly related and and so from the Lakers perspective I just don't think they're anywhere near their best right now and that's been evident in the games leading up to the Brooklyn game and it's why at the end of our last pod when we were talking about this this matchup I said on the pod that I could see Brooklyn coming in and kicking the Lakers ass like that. They're going to be comfortable on the perimeter. They're going to hit shots and the Lakers won't find a way to keep up. Right. And that's sort of how the game went. I'm not going to call myself a Nostradamus or anything, but it's like that was definitely in the cards. And then with Schroeder out, I think that that basically the dam got broken open in that regard. There are a bunch of smaller takeaways that I think matter but they mostly all relate back to how the Lakers have been playing of late like the struggle to hit threes and how that's going to matter against high-powered offenses like what's sort of going on with the perimeter intensity defensively and will that show up against better perimeter oriented teams and that the disconnect between the Lakers high defensive rating that's still basically at the top of the league and what that actually looks like on the court in terms of effectiveness. Those are all small takeaways for me, but those are independent of the nets. And so Pete, maybe you have bigger picture takeaways about the Nets specifically, but to me, I'm still looking at the Lakers like, okay, they're not where they need to be as, as a team. And that's, That's independent of any specific opponent. It could have been Brooklyn last night. It could have been Philly. It could have been any of the good teams around the league. And look, they're banged up. They don't have AD and their offense is sort of on the fringes right now of being in tatters to a certain extent. And that's all on them. That's not related to like, oh, well, this team is really hammering them in this specific way. Like Minnesota gave them problems on the perimeter. What do you think Brooklyn is going to do? Yeah, exactly. And that's why for me, it was important to rewatch the game last night. I did a uh, sometimes I'll do rewatches specific to one end of the court or specific to one player. And last night I did it on the defensive end. The I think that there's if there's a finals matchup between these two teams, Brooklyn's perimeter offense versus our perimeter defense is going to be a hell of a matchup. And so I wanted to see like, 
in those, especially in those minutes. So like giving up 109 to Brooklyn, nothing wrong with that. You can live with that, right? You can win. If, if you hold Brooklyn to 109 over the course of a seven game series, you're probably going to win that series. There were key stretches of that game where we struggled. And so doing the rewatch from a defensive perspective was particularly illuminating because I actually thought we defended pretty well by and large. And we found a couple of things that I think if we matched up against them, we would really zero in on that. And I'll get to that in a second. But we def- I thought we defended fairly well with a couple of glaring exceptions and Defense is something where all five guys, if, if you got four guys that are really locked in and really doing the thing and, and all cohesive, that's great. But if there's one guy who's not on the same page or missing his rotation or whatever, things can fall apart. THT got killed in that game on the defensive end. There was a stretch, Darius, between in his first shift, I counted last night. I'm not talking so plus minus is a stat where it's a little bit noisy because it's like we you know a guy can be a plus 20 in a game but he might be on the court when LeBron goes on a personal 10-0 run and him standing in the corner did not particularly contribute to that plus two or plus three on that particular possession and then that multiplies over the course of the game in THT's first shift I counted 20 points that he was the guy that made the mistake on the play they were targeting him from a uh in, in terms of his rotations, he lost TLC a couple of times. He was laid on a DeAndre Jordan lob rotation that uh, where Vogel finally called the timeout and pulled him from the game. Harden drew three free throws on him. Kyrie was, co- but wherever THT was, THT was, they were really picking on him. They are too high level of a perimeter offense for him to be successful against because he's still learning where his rotations are. This is something I know he really drives you crazy on overhelping. Right. And that's something that, that that was something that in the rewatch, he overhelps, but he also he makes mistakes with his footwork on recovering. And it's not so much to me that he overhelps. It's that he doesn't bounce back. Right. Like he'll drop down into the paint, but then he'll kind of wait that beat and watch. And then it's an open corner three for Tyler Johnson. Right. The, the thing is, is that overhelping. So there's a bunch of different ways that you can overhelp. Right. And so you can overhelp because like so, for example, I think Alex Caruso overhelps this year and did it last year, too. I thought Danny Green overhelped a bunch last year. Right. The difference between Alex Caruso and Danny Green versus Taylor Horton Tucker is that their defensive instincts and technique is so high. Right. That they almost overhelp to bait you. Right. Like like or no or with the understanding that they can they can influence the direction a possession goes based off of their individual man positioning. And then while still understanding that by playing chess, that the rotations are going to lead back to them being on time most of the time. Right now, they could still get beat that way, but you understand it because mentally they're at a level defensively that they're good. THT often drifts when he overhelps. You ever been out in the ocean swimming? Like, oh, it's Hawaii. It's great. Like, oh, the water's so so warm. It's blue. And then you look back to where your umbrella is on the beach, and suddenly it's like 30 feet to the left from where you walked out. And you're like, like, how did did I I get here? Like, like, how did I get way over here? And, And the current just sort of moved you that way. THT defensively, he ends up in positions where you could tell that his body is just sort of moving him nonchalantly in any given direction. And when it's time to recover, he is out of position to the extent that it drives that lack of technique that you're talking about, Pete, because the angles that he has to take are poorer and he doesn't have his footwork and his steps correctly in order to close out to the right hand or to shade in the right direction, right? And and the offensive player has much more influence over him in that like messed up positioning. Mike, go ahead well, and chime in here. THG is very much a rookie still in terms of actual NBA experience. And sure. when I first moved out to LA, I almost damn near drowned uh, in the ocean because I didn't I didn't recognize the riptide. I was same thing. I, it, it wasn't just that I. It wasn't just that I was drifting 
from where the umbrella was. And, and my uh, my wife, so she would have been my girlfriend at the time, is just kind of chilling, listening to Beyonce or something on her headphones. And meanwhile, I'm like getting drift away and pulled out. And all of a sudden I get smashed by a wave on the top and I'm going under. I mean, like that. Now, I, that's a little bit of an extreme advantage. I clearly survived. Uh, Mitch Buchanan came out of nowhere and basically had to pull me and 20 other people out because it was a gnarly uh, gnarly day in the Pacific. And, um, now I'm, I'm probably have, thank you, Mitch. Yeah, yeah, man. It was, uh, it was, yeah, dude, this, this, like, uh, this dude just comes out of nowhere and I'm like, Oh, thank you. Uh, can, can you save me please? And, uh, so that wasn't awesome. Uh, but I, now I know when I go out into the ocean, I sort of, I know where to go. I know what, ha- what you're supposed to do with a riptide. And by the way, for those of you that were ignorant like me, and that might be from Minnesota, you're not supposed to swim into it. Okay. You're supposed to go side to side. I didn't know that. Nobody told me. Thanks guys. Thanks for letting me know that <laughs> when I got out here. So that wasn't great. And that's what THT is like a little bit, but I, that was one of the many points of frustration and, and also just kind of, there were some things that, you know, they would do differently in if this were a real matchup that you could see and then Vogel did as the game went on, but it was just sort of too late and to, to mix that with trying to find the energy level and without having your real, like what, what Vogel wants to get to and what the Lakers know, you can always get to their, uh, their cheat code lineup, which is AD at the five. And when you don't have that lineup, you have to try and figure out another lineup that's going to work there. And for a time, it was Marquise Morris at the five. And then Brooklyn kind of figured out that that wasn't really good. Like LA's defense is not LA's defense when it's Morris at the five and AD's not on the floor. And same kind of thing with Matthews being banged up and KCP being where he's at there. Uh, you know, there weren't, they didn't have that group of five, no Schroeder who's been in that money, many of those lineups this year. They just didn't have that group. So, so Vogel was searching for it throughout the night and it may, they may, there was a point where they started to play better in the second half and uh, where, you know, Darius sent a text in the group thread and then, you know, TLC hit his fourth and fifth and six threes. And like, so it just wasn't going to be their night in that context. And at a certain point, they sort of turned their heads and, and, you know, went awry. For sure. And that's why it was important for me to do the rewatch last night is that obviously there are all of these factors where the Lakers are kind of sputtering to the all-star break. Um, it's something that I am seeing around the league and in a lot of ways, right? Like there are a lot of teams that Milwaukee lost their fifth in a row last night. Boston's a 500 team. Denver has been up and down, right? All of these teams that kind of made it deeper into the playoffs. I think the same phenomenon affects the Lakers. However, I do think that one thing that's interesting about Brooklyn, and I think this comes from, you know, Mike D'Antoni is an, an assistant. Steve Nash is, I, I would assume, influenced by MDA's coaching philosophies is MDA almost always will coach to win a game in a matchup sense, right? Where as soon as Trez was coming into the game, he's calling DeAndre Jordan to go in for Jeff Green because Trez is going to eat against DeAndre or against uh, Jeff Green. And Mark is a good matchup for DeAndre Jordan. But when it's flipped, it becomes Brooklyn's advantage. And he really look to leverage that in a couple of different places. Um, With respect to Trez, that was one thing that was interesting defensively was how they would target Trez or like their approach toward it is when he was matched up with DeAndre Jordan, they wouldn't have Jordan come up to set a ball screen. It would just be isolation and they'd keep Jordan down in the dunker spot. And that's smart in a way is like, and because I was watching the game, like why is Trez around the basket so much? And it's like, well, his man is down there. It's not Jeff Green out on the perimeter, right? His man is down there in the dunker spot. And so you're asking Trez to be a rim protector, which is obviously what the Nets were looking to target by not having Jordan set that screen. Our point of the attack defense wasn't particularly good. I've actually thought Alex played one of his worst on ball defensive games. I thought he was a step slow in a lot of situations against guys like he was great against Harden last year in the playoffs. Right. And this kind of goes into that whole malaise and right. Like Alex Caruso, KCP, these are guys that have historically been players that you can rely on that no matter what, they're going to give you that energy, that engagement and all that. KCP was the other guy though, that I, that really for me, Darius was he's on Pluto right now. Like there are so many plays defensively and on both ends of the court but plays on the defensive end in particular where there was one play in the third quarter he went out right after this and I thought he was hurt at the time but he got subbed out at a weird point right it was like 10 minutes left in the third quarter he limped off the floor and I thought it was like a re-aggravation of whatever was bothering him in the first half 
Right. And on that play and on a couple of plays before as well, he's like, he's doing something completely different defensively than the rest of the team is doing. And that's why overall on a defensive level uh, and, and to turn it to something a little more encouraging with THT getting picked on, right? Like that was obviously their strategies. When this kid's in the game, we're going to run him on off ball screens. If he gets switched on Kyrie and Harden, we're going to give them all the space to attack him. We're going to try to get that switch. And then KCP doing what he was doing. We still, I thought defended okay. Uh, and and the reason for that, I think that if we get, and I'm curious on your thoughts on this, but in general, Mike, you were talking about how we have a couple of things to go to that when it matters, especially against a team like this, one of them is when we blitzed pick and rolls or we hedged high and we got into scramble situations, I thought we were quite good. And I think that if we were, that's without Dennis Schroeder. That's without Anthony Davis, right? At some point, like we didn't have the horses defensively. Obviously, they're without Kevin Durant, right? Let's not act like that's not a, a huge deal. But defensively, we don't have two of our faster players, especially relative to their position. But our scrambles were still good. And I think that the key to beating or to defending a Brooklyn Nets team is making Joe Harris, Brown, Landry Shamet, make those guys passers. There was a stretch during that time where Keith came in at the five. When we went on that run, a big part of that was we're forcing Shamet into a wing drive along the baseline. Uh, and then he gets kind of swallowed up and is finding like one of those, like I've jumped, but I've got nowhere to pass and try to find where to go. Alex steps into the passing lane, gets the steal. I was actually very encouraged by what I think our base defense would be against them in a seven game series. And I'm curious, Mike, uh, on... What are some of your observations on if we were playing them in a seven game series? What do you think are some of those things that you referred to earlier that we might be going to a little more often? That's it right there. And I, uh, I'm smiling because the way that you ask that question is sometimes when if I see a point in a in the post game interview and I'll kind of like lead a player or sometimes. <laughs> and then they'll be like, well, yeah, like it's kind of like what you said. And, and, and now I, I kind of just had that same experience. I'm like, yeah, exactly what Pete was just describing there. It, it's a. You can get them to the point with, at least with the offense where it's Harden and Kyrie, and Harden's got the ball, and, and Kyrie's on one side of the floor. You can you can force them into the type of shots that you want them to take. I think uh, if you have the right personnel on the floor, and you're the Lakers, which they would. The the cheat code for them though is Kevin Durant, who can hit all kinds of shots even within that context. And that's where, that's why I thought Brooklyn is going to win the East even before they traded for James Harden because healthy KD is still better than anybody else in those situations, especially um, except for LeBron in a different way. And so there, that to me is, is they're still going to be there and they're not going to have, there isn't really a good answer to the Kevin Durant thing. You just have to hope that he misses a certain amount of the tough shots uh, that he gets. But from the Lakers end, they can attack Brooklyn in ways that nobody else can attack them either. And once again, it's because of this same theme. It's because what are they going to do to keep LeBron and AD from getting to the rim enough to either finish there uh, through traffic or to kick out to wide open threes. And it's what we saw in the postseason. I don't think Brooklyn has those type of answers either. And, and that's why I think it would be a really good series, but you can scheme up any Mike D'Antoni and, and Nash is going to be there by extension. You can eventually scheme up uh, because they're going to do what they do. And they don't have just the, the raw, like kind of athletic uh, power that the Lakers do without the need of a system on offense. They have to sort of rely on. And if you, like you said, Pete, if you can take away those, some of those open threes, which the Lakers would um, if they're locked in, especially for a series, we just saw them do it against Houston. Uh, where D'Antoni was right that that is something I think they can do and then it becomes more about Durant versus kind of LeBron and AD in, in the way they get buckets but uh, Darius I'm sure you can add something to that uh, that element in what this matchup would be but I I do I do at this point still think I would pick the Lakers uh, it, and it would be a fun series but I would still pick the Lakers yeah the thing about the Nets is that they're very system oriented, but they have such high level isolation players that that's where the Lakers defense needs to to hold up to a certain level. Right. Or any defense really needs to hold up to a certain level in order to be able to attack the Nets on the other end of the floor, where if you have a matchup buster, you can continue to feed that matchup buster in order to make them succumb to your will. 
right? And so LeBron last night, for example, at one point he was like seven for 12 or 12 for 15 or 16. And, and it's just like LeBron's getting whatever the hell he wants. And the Lakers had no other player who could create advantage that way. And there's he said so after the game, too. He basically he's like, look, I've seen this before. It wasn't a problem for me. Uh, it's almost explicitly. It was some kind of paraphrase of this. And but then he said, you know, and look, uh, like without saying it, the rest of the team, we got to kind of everyone else has figured out. But he's like, yeah, like I, I know what they're doing. OK. And I and I know how to figure how to beat it. Well, even Vogel during his quarter interview break, they asked him, like, what do you need to do here? And he had his TNT interview before the fourth quarter, right between the third or third and fourth quarter breaks. And he's like, oh, what do you got to do right to like get back in to this game? And he said the obligatory like we got to cut down on the turnovers, which is, you know, a topic for a pod at some point, too, that we have to get into. But he also said, look, LeBron is playing great. We need some other guys to join him and other guys to step up, right? And it's very rare that you hear Vogel be that blunt in terms of what his expectations are for some of the other guys. But if on one end of the equation, like the other night after the AD injury news broke and Vogel is saying, I'm very comfortable with what I have. And these are guys that I trust to play to a certain level. Then when they don't play to that level, it's fair that he calls them out that way right because he's he's giving them the confidence to play that way in the first place and now you have to live up to that confidence and he can't just continue to coddle guys when they don't play well and and i think that you're seeing that with some of his substitution stuff pete you mentioned earlier like kcp getting pulled early he also pulled gasol at some point and then dropped him out of the second half rotation basically until he got some matchup minutes in the fourth quarter against deandre jordan and so This idea of how will the Lakers do defensively against the Nets, like I agree with you, Pete, that when they got into their scramble situations, they looked good. And on certain plays, I thought they held up fine defensively in isolation situations. And there was a point in time when LeBron turned it up defensively in the third quarter where it looked like when I sent that text that Mike was referencing earlier about like the prospects of how this game was going to go. I saw LeBron really start to have real defensive impact just by how he was like getting in the passing lane and and really pressuring his individual guy and getting guys off of the three point line. And so there's a lot the Lakers can do when they're fully locked in. But look, this goes back to Vogel a little bit too. He is not a, And this is in contrast to what you said about Mike D'Antoni, Pete. He is not a, I'm going to chase this win. Vogel's default is almost always like, this is what we do. We're this team, right? Beat us if you can. And as the flow of the game goes, to your point earlier, Mike, he then searches out specific things that he thinks will work. When they do work, he then will stick with that stuff. And so an example was like that early Utah game last season where he saw how AD at the five was really impacting the flow of that jazz game. And so even though the game was close, he said, you know what, like this is what's working right now. We're going to go back to that and 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 we're going to win this game based off of doing it this way. But Vogel's not a individual night to night game plan guy like we're going to do this. Our substitution pattern is changing in order to match up with this specific team. He is a baseline guy and then he will adjust as needed, but only slightly during the regular season. To me, it's more in the playoffs is when he's going to say we're going to drill in. This is weakness A. This is weakness B. This is weakness C. And we're going to try to skew our whole game plan towards attacking those things. But even most series start with that baseline level of beat us if you can. Yeah, I I think you brought it around there at the end for sure. Because the the reason why I thought last regular season he didn't do as much of that is because they were winning. And it just the flow of how the team was going he didn't, you know, he he wanted to establish a certain amount of continuity and and also just keep guys confident. But then once we got to the postseason, then it was very specifically matchup based. And, you know, Morris is starting a couple games at the five against the Rockets. Obviously, game six of the finals, you got Caruso starting. You had Dwight start um, against Jokic 
at the end of that series. But you're right. He would, for the most part, start with the same five and then kind of make adjustments as needed. I think that's probably pretty standard in the NBA. There are, there are, there are a few coaches that'll go right from the start and they'll kind of switch things up. But yeah, I mean, I guess there's, to, this is to both of you, there's probably a reason for that, right? And and that's just, uh, that's partly for expectation, but it does seem like he's, he's willing to, as soon as he doesn't like what he's seeing, he does seem to have a quicker trigger than I originally thought that he might. Is that, do you think yeah. you guys agree with that? Yeah, I'm curious to see going forward. I think that the argue argument for continuity with uh, with lineups and with kind of we do what we do throughout the regular season and, and don't adjust too much. I think that that when you have a healthy or close to healthy roster, I think is it's easier to do and it has a, a better long term. There's more fruit that are born from that. I think that with both AD and Schroeder out for however long Dennis is going to be out, I think that when things are thrown into flux anyway, maybe this is an opportunity to experiment with some lineups or, or with some combinations that maybe doesn't fit within that long term because it's already kind of disturbed in the first place, right? Like your rotation, that continuity can't be there right now with both of those guys out. Real quick, before we go to break, I wanted to kind of put a bow on my defensive thoughts because I wanted to talk about the offense with AD and Schroeder out in the lineups in the second half is I think that ultimately in a seven game series, just based off of the little takeaways from the rewatch and whatnot, we can do a lot of dictating the terms against the Nets. That's one thing is that I, I learned in, when I was coaching is that it's actually the defense that kind of dictates the way that offense goes. You made it, you know, They've got all of these wonderful isolation players. If we're trapping, and this is something that we do with Mark that is actually has been an encouraging thing about Mark's defense. I actually think Mark's a better perimeter defender in some ways than he is an interior defender, as, as strange as that is, because when we're trapping, that gets them into having to swing the ball to the open man, and then we're scrambling to close out. And so it's a lot of like shot fake, attack the closeout, and making shot pass drive decisions in which the the Lakers can dictate who that goes to because they could it's a four on three after that outside of that trap right so say we're we're trapping Kyrie Irving and Kyrie's going to get the ball out or or Harden's going to get the ball out to whoever that the open man is and then it's four on three from there on out we can make sure that that open guy isn't Kevin Durant we can and it maybe it is a Joe Harris or a Landry Shamit but we're closing out fast enough to where that's not an open shot. And now they have to shot fake, attack the closeout, and then make a quick decision against a defense that isn't set, but that is scrambling and, and moving around. And so I don't want to act like our defense was great last night, but I think it was in large part because there were two points where we were really hemorrhaging on the defensive end with both Casey. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And THT. It wasn't a great game from Alex's standpoint, but by and large, from in the course of a seven game series, I think that we could really dictate the terms against them. So in, in some ways, I was encouraged by last night by the thing that I think that will work against them in the seven game series did bear some fruit. Although in that very partial way with them, without KD, with us, without AD and Schroeder, I actually think that the offensive end is a much bigger concern. So let's take a break. And when we come back, I'd love to talk to you guys about replacing both AD and Schroeder's offense, because I think that having both of them out at the same time makes things really problematic for us. 
Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. So our offense is very much built around individual talent, right? LeBron, Anthony Davis, even Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell. We don't have as much flow offense in that we're going to play Miami on Saturday. They're one of the teams that if they had a a 100 second shot clock, their system, they'd still be in it, right? We, We generally have one action, a couple of counters to it, and then... After that, it's isolation play or it's a ball screen, but it's usually isolation play for a great player. Darius, I'm concerned with both AD and Schroeder out. Did you see how lost we looked when LeBron wasn't on the floor on the offensive end? There's so many guys in positions where it's like like they were looking around, like just kind of taking turns between guys who don't normally have to do that. I'm talking Kuz, who played who played well last night. Uh, but Kuz, AC, even THT has these on ball abilities, but again, is not doesn't understand the five man game quite quite as well at this point. The league is um, catching up to him a little bit, man. Oh, for sure. Oh, this is absolutely this. And that's part of the reason why I think that if we'll we'll get to this, we'll get to this in the absence of two of our shot creators in a team and system that is so much built around individual offense, as opposed to a system that flows from one action to the next continuously. um, How do we get more out of those non LeBron minutes in particular to where, because it was really our offense that lost us that game last night, in my opinion. Yeah, so, and the Nets were a tricky opponent for that because they switched so much. And so, right, and so it's very much... Why is that tricky? Why is that difficult? Uh, Why does that pose a problem without shot creation? So there was a great podcast where Chris Paul was, I think he was on the J.J. Reddick podcast like a couple of months, months ago. And Chris Paul talked about this, that when Houston really got into their switching style offense against almost every team, um, and it was predicated to try to beat Golden State, which they ultimately didn't. But but they practiced this the entire year. They played the same style the entire year. And he said that he would laugh. He would go to the bench laughing. Because you'd see guys on the other team basically like complaining to each other and arguing, right? Like, move the ball, move the ball. Like, what are you doing? And Chris would laugh because he was saying, move the ball, move the ball to who? Ain't no one open, right? Because we've switched everything. And that's why Durant and ultimately for Golden State, was their cheat code, Mike. And you mentioned him being a cheat code for the Nets this year. And this is why individual great players are a cheat code. It's because switch all you want, right, everywhere. This individual talent is going to be good enough to beat any individual defender and create advantage. And he's going to be able to pick the defender that he gets. If you're switching any th- everything, that's going to be Kevin Durant on your weakest defender or whoever is the best matchup for Kevin Durant. Every defender's weak when you're Kevin Durant. It's just like LeBron looks at Giannis and says, I can eat against this guy. Is it harder? Sure, but I'll eat against Giannis. In practice, if he had to go against Anthony Davis, he's going to give him the bow in the chest. 
and get to the free throw line or go up for a layup. This is LeBron James, a player like LeBron or Anthony Davis or Kevin Durant, a James Harden, a Kyrie Irving. They don't see defensive player of the year in front of them. They don't see Rudy Gobert or any of these top name guys. They see a silhouette of the player that they're going to beat. Right. And so when you talk about what the Nets were doing to the Lakers, when you switch everything, it's then going to rely on individual playmaking for you to be able to thrive in that offensive environment, which is why I thought of all of the secondary players that looked okay. It was Kyle Kuzma, who basically went back to his like second year third year sort of idea of like, oh yeah, third star, right? Like I'm going to get you 20 points tonight based off of the fact that I'm going to dip my shoulder in to you. I'm going to shoot a fadeaway jumper. I'm going to try to go and create a bucket. And he's the next guy up in terms of that idea of being able to get you a basket. But to get back to your question about what can the Lakers do to sort of survive, I think they're going to have to go to more off ball screen action and probably use Mark in the hub a little bit more as a passer. And it's something that we talked about the last game, man, where he needs to be more aggressive with his shot a little bit and just promote movement a little bit more. And it's going to be an interesting narrow, like balance beam that the Lakers are going to have to walk here because that is not their traditional approach, but you can't, Tell Alex Caruso and KCP and Wes Matthews to go out there and run five or 10 pick and rolls as the clock winds down and generate successful offense. Mike, I saw you nodding your head a second ago. What are your thoughts, big picture, about like the direction that the offense needs to go? And are there one or two things that you're looking for that would help boost them? I think it's always really important to acknowledge that you can't just look at the offense and not consider the defense in terms of personnel. And I think the Lakers did that when constructing this roster. And we had a lot of these same discussions last year. Most of them involved Rondo, but it was all about this kind of secondary playmaker thing. And this season, Shooter steps in to a certain playmaker role, although he's not a classic point guard. Alex Caruso certainly is not. Taylor Horton Tucker certainly is not. Even Quinn Cook is a bit more of a shooting guard than a pure point guard. But the reason why this generally works with the roster construction where you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the floor is it because you're assuming that those guys are almost always going to be out there when it matters. And what you want around them is defenders who can hit shots and can make a secondary play, but certainly don't have to carry the offense. And if you, I think about this a little bit like Milwaukee. So Milwaukee brings in Drew Holiday. He's not a pure point guard shot creator either. And so then they have DJ Augustine coming in off the bench, and but he's going to get attacked and killed on defense. And so all of a sudden they're out there and they don't really have that guy at all because Giannis doesn't do that either. And Milwaukee is in real trouble. Like there's, that's to me the reason why they've lost five in a row isn't just because they're tired. It's because like they have trouble just getting a, a flow into an offense, period. And the Lakers don't have that problem when they have certainly LeBron on the floor. And then even in the secondary offenses where they have AD to run through or shooter to a different extent. But right now, without as as you guys have laid out, yes, that is going to be an issue, but it's not a big picture issue because if you if you get the type of personnel in there that's really going to be able to run a second unit effectively like more of a pure point guard 90 percent of the time that guy's not going to be good defensively he's not going to be able to play in the lineups that matter for the lakers anyway so it's just a little bit of a band-aid to get you through a week or two and like it, it goes back to then if they're engaged and playing well defensively they can run out and get stuff in transition and do all that kind of stuff so I'm just trying to tie the whole thing together with what the roster is and say that it's it's kind of why I was never that concerned about it last year and I remain not concerned about it unless you know that you're not going to have some of your main guys, you know, that's when you have to rejigger a couple things and and figure that out. But uh it but yeah, I I I don't I hope that tied well uh together, but that's the way that I look at it with the offense plus the defense. Yeah, and I think big picture Mike, you're right. The issue the Lakers are facing right now is in the short term is that they are without their horses, 
right? Yeah, I'm, I'm talking short term. How do we kind of get through this stretch without without Schroeder in particular? So there's two things that I would point to, Pete, that I think are going to matter here. A, to tie it back to Mike's point, is the Lakers need to start defending with more effort and with more intensity in order to force misses, force turnovers, and get out and run and rebound, right? Because all of those things then create transition opportunities, potential transition opportunities. So point number one to me would be commit to being a faster team. Commit to it and do all of the things that are necessary in order to be a transition team, which is all of the defensive stuff that I mentioned. And then from a mentality standpoint, hunt those chances, right? And I think that's less crucial with LeBron on the floor, but even he could benefit, I think, from some easier baskets. But there's an energy, there's like a there's a graph, right, in which he has to balance like energy use in order to be a transition player and how much I want to do that in terms of because how much is that actually helping me, right, because he's such a good half court player. But for the THTs, the Alex Caruso's, the KCP's, the Kyle Kuzma's, all of those guys, they need to get out and run more. The other thing that needs to happen, man, and look, I don't know a fix for this. I'd love to hear your thoughts from an X's and O's standpoint, but these threes need to start falling. You want to make up for some lack of individual playmaking talent and the advantage that gets created from that. Well, how about instead of trying to get two points, you get three points, right? We saw how the Nets, basically the Nets outscored the Lakers by basically a billion from behind the arc. The Lakers are facing math problems now almost every single night. And in order to help boost your offense, like let's start making threes. Like what are your thoughts? how How about starting to take threes? They're yeah. not even taking any threes. So, yeah, they're they're like 27th in the league now, and that's that's including them early in the season where they were taking and making a bunch of threes. So yeah, I mean, I look, Pete, I'll, I'm going to kick it to you for this for specifics. I think it's a bit more of just this malaise and sort of they're just like kind of tired and they got all these drive and kick guys and they're I don't know, but it's yes, it's it's a concern. <laughs> it's a concern. To, I asked both LeBron and Vogel about it last night, and they're like, "Yep, it's a problem." Yeah, it is a problem, but it's also something that long term I'm not that concerned about uh, in terms of our ability to create and make those. The defensively, I, I always look at the amount of attempts that we're giving up. We gave up a ton against Denver. Uh, Brooklyn got a lot of clean looks. There were several possessions where you know LeBron, they their shooters, Joe Harris or Landry Shamet, would come off of an off ball screen and Gasol's too deep in the paint. LeBron isn't stepping out on those, right? And we're, we're making mistakes. And so, yes, we need to commit to the, the perimeter there to help limit that. And then on the offensive end, um, reminds me a lot of the seeding games and early in the bubble when I remember when we were like, oh, like, can the Lakers shoot in Orlando? Can they shoot in this gym? Is there something with the sight lines? I think that the Lakers because they're so built around individual stars and defense in particular, you, you talked Mike about like when you're built around these type of guys, you are looking for guys who can be three and D players. I think that when we're making decisions between three or D like the the defensive end is always prioritized, right? So we've got a couple of guys that their shots going to come and go. And in this period of malaise, in this period of, of being a little bit tired, when you're tired, what happens to your jump shot, right? That's not something that is, I don't have as much of a long-term concern aside from, and this is something that this is a whole nother topic. I think that there's some degree of presumption that like, oh, the Lakers will eventually get their energy back. And this is something around the league too, right? That they will be able to tap into that. And I do think that they will, but I think that that is a, a presumption for sure. I actually, this is a a thought that I had last night, and it's just for this short-term type of fix, right? With Anthony Davis out, with Dennis Schroeder out, we don't have many guys who can dribble. And that's something, especially against a switching defense, when nobody is open, you have to create your own shot. And what are you going to give the ball to Wes? You're going to give the ball to KCP, to Alex? Even Kuz isn't much of a ball handler. He can get his own bucket, and he's one of the better options. I would like to see in this little stretch... Quinn Cook get a little bit of run. There are obviously defensive concerns there for sure. And this is a different approach from, because I don't think that 
that idea of committing to the defensive end and getting out on the run, I don't know if we have the legs to do that right now, D. Hmm. And that's a good point. And if we do, I think that if we're looking to tap into that, I this is something I've been, you know, kind of championing for a while during this first part of the year. Your McKinney's, your Dudley's, those guys that have fresh legs right now. If you do want some of that out of some more bench units, um, you also get guys that know what they're doing a little more than THT does. That isn't going to hemorrhage 20, 22 points in a single shift because of their defensive mistakes. But with Quinn in particular, he's got really good chemistry with Montrez Harrell. He's a great pull-up jumper shooter and he is a guy that if the ball swings to him on the perimeter he's money he's gonna knock down those open shots and at this point with because we're so built around shot creators and then losing our second and third guys that do that then it becomes more post-ups for trez and for trez right uh running offense through mark but you can't do that against every defense that's going to be against ball denial that isn't going to exist against kcp or when kcp's not shooting well in particular or West or things like that. So Mark's passing lanes are kind of dependent on how the defense is playing. I think we need one more guy who can dribble the ball and hit a shot in a way that it crosses that threshold of is Quinn, like is Quinn's defensive deficiencies worth it to have him out there on the, on the other end of the court. I think in this little stretch that's there. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm into you. I'm into it. Pete cosine. What do you think? D? Kitchen stadium. Let's get to it. I like cook. I know that he's got deficiencies. The thing I like about Cook, besides all of the offensive stuff that you said, is he competes defensively, right? I wouldn't mind giving Dudley a few minutes here or there just because he is a reliable three-point shooter and a ball mover. Like, before we uh, started to record the pod, I had mentioned that one of the things that the Lakers don't have as much of this season as they had last season is just sort of like I don't want to call them willing but like passers and ball movers basically is they've got way more finishers I feel like now than they had last season and not as many of those in-between guys who will do both right and 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 so like Schroeder's a finisher man Trez is a finisher and the ball goes to them at a higher volume than it did to the players who they replaced, right? Which is like, in a way, Avery Bradley's now gone. Rajon Rondo is now gone. Rondo was a passer and a playmaker, an offensive organizer. And Dwight and JaVale, their usage rates were probably in between 10 and 15, right? Trez is going to be like an 18 to 22 level usage guy. And, And I haven't looked it up. He could be even higher than that. But he will be higher than that in games where Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder don't play and he gets more touches, right? Because he's going to look for his own a lot more than than he is going to be a passer. And so, yeah, play Cook, man. Play Dudley. This is the time where play McKinney, too. I like McKinney. I do too. Good athlete. He's a guy who can, uh, good. if we're looking for legs, if we're looking to get out and run, he can knock down a, an open oh, he's, three. Although he's, that's ha- more he's happy to, to get a bunch of threes up, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. It's like so much of this portion of the season is related to energy. Right. And we've been talking about this all year. And I think it serves a dual purpose of, of getting other guys a little more rest and kind of saving their legs. Like we need to get to the all-star break. This is what this little stretch of time is. We're, we're trying to get there and we're down a couple of guys. I think that really relying on those fresh legs. I was, I was talking about this last night where the baseball season is 162 games. Normally the basketball season is normally 80 games and I would argue that those 82 games are more rigorous physically than those 162 are for baseball players baseball players sit all the time you got fourth outfielders you've got guys who will rest every 10 days or so I in a season like this with such a short turnaround with such a different context than most seasons like I I I feel like there is that opportunity to get deeper into the bench and that's part of the value of, of having McKinney and Dudley and guys who can actually play Quinn Cook who can actually bring something at that that portion of the roster you, i think you the baseball analogy to me is is a little tricky because baseball is a is not really a team sport it's an individual yeah, it's, it's, sport of guys playing together and so that's why that's fair. it's not a one-to-one it's not a one-to-one compare. yeah that's why you don't shuttle guys in all the time in a basketball lineup because the whole point is you have to build real cohesion and it's the same thing in soccer 
Um, you know, That's football, football is a little bit more like baseball, probably where, you know, you, you could you could put receiver X, Y and Z um, in on a different day. But your your point is is still I think I think I'm still with you to an extent, because in this case, if you have a guy that's just really struggling and looks tired in this case, let's say it's KCP and we know that he has various things bothering him. You know, that is a spot where instead of just kind of playing through it. Maybe maybe that's the case where you say, hey, look, just take this game to get your ankle right. Take this game to get your like it's got to be injury related where the guy's performance is not is not hitting a certain spot. And that's not true in the postseason, but that's true right now uh, to get to the all star break. I mean, look, I know that you guys have looked at the schedule. The Lakers play every other day. And then right before the All-Star break, they they play a back-to-back, right? And so we're recording this on a Friday. They played on Thursday night. Their next game is Saturday, right? So one day off, and then they play. And then after Saturday, they play Monday, and then they play Wednesday, and then they play Friday. And it's and it's just and that's what it's been this entire season. And look, I was saying this last night online, but I know fans don't like the idea of like, there's a thin line I feel like between context and, and excuses for sure. And context is normally applied to wins and excuses. And then when you lose that same context becomes excuses. Right. But this team has been playing every other day. Basically they've had two or three stretches where they've gotten more than one day off, but that's about it. They have not been practicing they have not had any games postponed, right? And so they haven't had any stretches where it's just like, oh, well, we were supposed to play tonight in Oklahoma City, but Oklahoma City's only got seven players available, so guess what? We're not playing. And to a certain extent, that may be helpful for them in the second half of the year when these other teams are trying to make up games and the Lakers have actually hit their mark on their schedule, right? So there's some good that you can bake into that there. but. The bad of that is I think we're seeing it now that when you look at a schedule that is basically as unforgiving as the bubble was, but with all of the travel still built into the schedule that you did not have in the bubble and then the defending champ and the Lakers and no fans, all of this stuff is contributing now to where you might be able to get a little bit of an extra boost. They don't have it. And this is the normal time of the year where you would already start to see the mental fatigue and the malaise of like, Oh man, it's February. Like when's the all-star break going to get here? That ha- this happens every year. It's just exacerbated by the quick turnaround, by you know, no fa- like it's it's the a more extreme version of something that happens every single year. I was listening to Bomani Jones talk on on a podcast well yesterday, and he was talking about a conversation that he had had with some friends about the issues that we've seen with the economy, right? And and how all of this stuff was probably coming anyway, but COVID has been an accelerant to that stuff, right? And so what I feel like we're seeing this year with the Lakers is, or with the NBA in general, is that all of this stuff was likely going to happen, right? Players getting, with with the Lakers though, right? Players were gonna get tired. Mentally, they were going to be more like challenged on a night-to-night basis just based off of the fact that they repeated and they're getting every team's best shot not only because they're the lakers but because they're the defending champs and we and we've talked about this idea a bunch on the pod but covid and the compression of the schedule it served as an accelerant for some of this stuff for for the lakers and and i think that we're seeing that bear out now on a night to night basis. And we probably have been for the last two to three weeks. And so the all-star break can't get here fast enough, but to your point, Pete, this is a time where Vogel's probably going to need to tinker more than what is in his instincts. But I trust that he's open to doing this stuff, but it's just another thing for him to manage in a season that has already been crazy to manage. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that if so, he's very much a stay the course uh, and don't don't make 
too much in the way of changes as, as we talked about. I think that if we continue that with both AD and Schroeder out, it's not just that, you know, Schroeder's a really good player, which obviously he is, but with our offense so built around individual talent rather than system, when those ind- individual talents go away, you don't have as much of a system to fall back on, right? Obviously, when LeBron's in the game, we have that, but there's no secondary guy when he's on the court because those are the 3 and D guys. We've surrounded him and AD and Schroeder with those types of players that if he doesn't alter kind of his his approach, I think that we're up in, in for some rough waters as a result of all of that. Can I ask you both one question then? Over this last stretch, give me one non-LeBron lineup that you'd like to see get at least a shift every single game. No LeBron and no Schroeder? Yeah, so Schroeder's out, right? Like, like, let's assume that Schroeder's out for the next six or seven days. Like, let's just make that that assumption. If it doesn't happen, great. Yeah, so this is where I want, I'm just going to kind of base it around Cook and Harold's screen roll as the one offensive thing that you can sort of rely on there. And then, you know, against certain teams, I'd be happy to go to try to go big with Gasol, but I, don't, I think you, in this case, you're probably better off just having Trez as a center. So then just give me, you know, give me Wesley Matthews uh, and Kuzma. And depending on how many defensive rotations THT missed uh, in earlier in that game, uh, THT for a little bit. So I penetration. I'm right on the same page in terms of we need an offensive action that we can rely on, right? And I think that this is a portion of a season where we need to stray a little bit because of the absence of these individual talents, stray a bit from the, you know, stagger series or that initial set that we usually run. A lot of teams with their bench units, it's just high ball screen, space the floor, right? I think we need to do that for this stretch of time. And so that Quinn Cook, Montrez Harrell, I think you're absolutely Absolutely right there that with our with non LeBron lineups, that's going to be one of our best offensive actions with those two guys at the center of the offense, though. I want three defenders and three guys who I can really trust. So I'm with you on Wes. I'm with you on Kuz. I want Caruso as that other guy. Right. And right. so yeah. that I think, yeah. Yeah. of course, of course, Caruso. Yes, thank you. Yes. Right. And so I think that, that that kind of fills in some of the defense you got shooting around that. That's, I think, our best two way lineup. Um, with obviously some holes defensively, you know, Quinn's going to hurt defensively, but I think he'd help more on the offense. The only, the only Caruso, I think the reason I, I'm having trouble not having Caruso in LeBron lineups here. uh, Cause, but then Vogel is really, if he has to deputize a backup point guard, it is Caruso right now without Schroeder. And then that, you know, that affects things because in one sense that that's not Alex's best strength and it also pulls him away from LeBron some but yeah for on the defensive side that's a no-brainer that's part of the reason why though I want Cook in that spot because it puts Alex in a more natural advantage I was talking about advantage creation advantage extension he's an advantage extender right so I think that getting the full version of Alex uh and and having Quinn being able to knock down those pull-ups he's really good at throwing that pocket pass or that lob to Trez I that's where I'm at where are you on on those non-LeBron lineups to kind of survive these next couple weeks D yeah, so give me Cook, give me Trez, give me AC. I'm going to switch up. Let's get my guy Duds a shift, a game. Find him a shift. One shift player. I don't care what shift it is. I don't care if it's in the first half or the second half. And give me Kuz at small forward, so a little bit more size Yep. And rather than Wes, because I want the rebounding. One of the things that I feel like we're not talking about here in terms mm. of defense is finishing possessions on right. the glass right Good and point. so yeah. does is a box out guy kuz is a go and get it guy trez can be a little bit of both right but he can be a go and get it guy too duds can also play up a position defensively certain times like he will play bigger than his height and he will do some verticality stuff like like and he's a floor spacer and a ball mover and so i think that like where you guys are talking about advantage extenders, I think Duds can be a little bit of that with his ball movement. I think sure. that he offers another pick and roll option for a play with Cook or even with like Caruso, right? Where it's just like mm-hmm. pick and pop, which is right. a different look than the pick and roll that you're going to get with Trez. And so I would imagine a high screen and roll Cook and Trez AC up high as like a release valve 
coups and duds spacing to the corners, basically, to give short roll potential spray pass options to Trez on the dive. And look, like Duds is one of those guys that he is a natural sort of energy giver as well. When he makes a play or he makes a shot, it really gets everyone going. And that's a thing, too, that I think this group desperately needs. Not only boost in the legs, but like a boost in joy, which can then fuel you a little bit more through some of these moments. And and so, look, Vogel was playing 11 guys at one point. I know that that's too many. That said, they're now down two of their better players. If you're going to say like, okay, well, all right, well then let's just add THT and Wes and Keith back in. Well, you know what? Like, let's also give Cook a try and give Duds a try and and, and see where that takes us to see if you can just get to this finish line of the first half of the season. Yeah, I I think that's the goal right now, right? And uh, it's unfortunate the basketball gods did not allow us a full-strength Lakers versus Nets matchup, um, but that's just not the point of the season that we're at. That said, there's there's plenty about that game that even that we didn't get to that I think is interesting and kind of the the first die cast in in what could be you know an NBA Finals preview. So yeah, Lakers got Miami coming up on Saturday. Uh, we'll be recording on either Sunday night or Monday morning. That's going to be a tough then, one. Yeah, that is going to be a tough one. Yep. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.